Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at weareradiant.com. Come on, Radiant, every campus, one more time, give it up for Jesus today. But he's worthy of our greatest praise. Hey, stay standing for a moment. I'm so honored to be here. Uh, when Aaron was talking, I was like, who's he introducing? But it's, it's a real honor to be here. I love your church. I love what God's doing through it. I just love how even in the last, you know, 18, 20 months we've all walked through, you've just served and loved your community and cared for people and been so generous. And um, it's just, it's a great thing. I love how, how healthy your church is. It just, you, you kind of feel when you walk. I've walked in some places, I'm like, ugh. <laughs> you just feel the spirit, the encouragement. I would just say, I would, I would echo what, what Aaron said. If you're looking for a church, you've landed in a great one today. And I, I don't think you should look any further than this. But how many of you know this is that, um, is that things like this don't happen without somebody giving their yes to God. And I'm just so thankful all those years ago that your pastor and Katie gave their yes to God, said, God, yes, we'll, we'll leave what was very comfortable for them. We'll leave what we know and, and we'll move into a city and believe God to build a movement. And, um, and so the Bible says that those who labor in doctrine and the word are worthy of double honor. And, uh, and, and it, it, honor isn't, uh, isn't something that intimidates God. You know, I, I grew up, I grew up in a, a small rural churches in Tennessee and, you know, people would say, well, we need to keep the pastor humble and poor, you know, and they did both. And I'll tell you this, if you, if you knew what the, the voice of the enemy spoke to your leaders, you'd pray for them more, you'd encourage them more, you'd lift them up more. Aren't you thank God for your pastors and their family? Come on, let them know how much you love them. What a gift. I love you. Thank God for you. I'll, I'll let you sit in a minute. I wanted to show you my family. Um, my oldest kids are actually here with me, but they said, Dad, can we serve this service? So they're in Radiant Kids this morning, serving. Some of y'all been coming a year, ain't served. They've been here one service, now they're serving. I'm just saying, I'm just throwing that out. I'll go back home today. This is my wife, Tammy. We pastor LifePoint Church, been there 16 years in Virginia, Northern Virginia. And then my oldest son, Owen, and he's 14. I got a high schooler now. Woo! That happened too fast. That's my daughter, Faith. She's in seventh grade. She's 12, going on 25. On the drive here this morning, she goes, Dad, can I look at your phone? I want to look at nails for my wedding. I was like, you're not getting married, baby girl. You don't need to look at nails for your wedding. Beside hers, Abigail, she just turned five. And we intentionally took a long break because Faith is pretty strong-willed. We didn't sure we wanted to procreate children after her and uh, then Jonas there in my lap he's two he'll be three in a couple weeks we adopted him when he was five days old and um, so that's that's why you see our hair and his and uh, he's if Zara or H&M or anybody's looking for a model I've, I've got a price and uh, you can you can use him um, but they send greetings we're, we're honored to be here let me read a verse of scripture to you 1 Samuel 17, then you can take a seat. 1 Samuel 17, 32 through 33 says this. David has is, is, um, been 
told by his dad, hey, your brothers are fighting the Philistines. This is the whole Goliath story. And he says, I want you to take them a charcuterie board down. If you read the Bible, he took them some cheese and bread. I mean, I don't know what else that is other than, and he's, so David shows up and he sees Goliath and, and everybody's intimidated. And he says, don't worry about this Philistine. David told Saul, I'll go fight him. And this was Saul's reply, don't be ridiculous. He said, there's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. I want, I want to focus on that phrase, don't be ridiculous. If you're a note taker, this will be the title today. If you're not, you should write this down, even if you're not a note taker. Um, I, I want to preach around this idea of reasonable or ridiculous. Reasonable or ridiculous. Let's, let's pray. Father, open our hearts and minds. We need to hear from you today. And we believe and declare that your word has the power to change our lives. And so change us today from the inside out. We ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said a big amen. Amen, amen. amen. Have a seat. Like I said, I love being here. Love what God is doing in your church. Here's what I know is that when you're in something all the time, it can become kind of common to you. And uh, so if I can encourage you in anything, don't let, don't let what God's doing here become common. Um, if, if studies are right, 30% of churches didn't make it through COVID, didn't survive, and you're thriving. I mean, you're, you're looking at opening new locations. Like, I'm, conv- I'm going to go home and open too. Like, I'm convicted. Like, where's my faith at? What's my problem? Go home and open too. If Aaron opens two, I'll try for four. Like, I just, pastors are competitive. You just got to, <laughs> anyways, but here's what can happen is, is, when you're in it all the time, it can become common to you, and common is the opposite of honor. And so don't, don't ever let this become common to you. Don't come every, come every week with expectation in your heart, with anticipation, just believing God's going to do something today, and God's going to move in a powerful way today. So just let that be the posture, the posture of your heart. How many of you know that um, there, there's two different types of trips that you take? Well, let me explain it to you, and then you'll know. Number one is there is a trip, and if you have children, that's when they come. Then you have vacations, that's when they don't come. All the parents in the house of God said a big amen. Are you with me? So we take trips. So we got a family of of six, all of us, and we're done. I'm not trying to catch up with the Burks and go with five, not at all. Um, But we got a family of six. So when we go through the airport, it's like up until recently, it was two pack and plays, two strollers, all these bags. Like I got a cart, Owen's got a cart. He can't even see over the stack of stuff. I'm like, just, you know, just try to follow me, bud. And we're like, it's a circus to go. But then when it's just Tammy and I, it's like carry on in a coffee, like strolling through the airport watching all the families fly, going, look at them. That's awesome. <laughs> Our kids are at home with the grandparents. This is a blessing. And, um, and so we, we went on a trip this summer, and uh, we went with a, a couple of other friends of ours. And, and so my, my idea of a vacation is you get up when you feel like it. You go out to the beach because I'm at the beach on vacation. I enjoy the mountains, but I'm at the beach on vacation. The mountains are meant for the winter when there's a fireplace. And so in the summer, I need to be on the water. And so I'm a, I go out and lay in a chair until I feel like getting up. When I get too hot, I jump in the pool to cool off. Then I get back in the chair. And then I stay there until it's time to go take a nap because I'm tired from all exerting all this energy on y'all of laying. And so then I take a little nap and probably get a snack, which is usually a pizza. 
because I'm on vacation, <laughs> and then go get dressed and go somewhere nice for dinner and repeat that for about seven days and then go back home. I don't understand y'all people that's got to have activities. I see y'all. Like, I see y'all on vacation. You're, you're at the resort doing things, and I'm like, what do, they, what do they do in real life that makes them want to do all this when they're trying to get out of real life? And so anyways, we went, on a trip. we went on a vacation this summer, and I did one excursion. I was like, one day we're going to do an excursion, and so I was like, all right, we'll do it. And Kyle's with me. He's on our team, and his, he and his wife were with us, and we were like, we're going to do this excursion, and the excursion was this. You go out on a boat, and um, there was just six of us, three couples, six of us. You go out on a boat, and there's these different caves that you visit, and so in the caves, and one of them, like the pitch was, I don't know if it's even true, but the pitch was that one of them is where a scene from Pirates of the Caribbean was filmed. So we were like, this is cool. So you jump out the boat and you swim into the cave and you kind of look around. You do that several times. And we were all enjoying it. The girls were enjoying it until the bats started flying out of the caves. Then they were like, we need to go. And then you end with a cliff jump. And I was like, I'm still 25 in my mind. I'll go cliff jumping. This was my last day of being 44. I turned 45 the next day. So I was like, I'm going cliff jumping. And so few of us went out. And, uh, and we climb up the side, and, and to get there, like, the waves were rocking because there were a number of boats that had pulled up to do the cliff jumping. So I'm like, I'm Ashton Kutcher in that diver movie, you know, that Coast Guard movie. I'm like, I'm not Kevin Costner because I'm like, I'm 45, I'm not 65. And so I'm, like, swimming out there, and you have to climb up, and then you go up to this area where the 25-foot jump is, and there's these guys that are like, we're not lifeguards, read this sign. And it's like, you know, all the bodily injury, you could kill yourself, you're taking response. So I was like, got it, got it, got it, let's go jump. And so we get out there, and, and they say, keep your hands to your side and your feet like this, and stay stiff like a pencil, and then jump. Well, I didn't want to jump on rocks and kill myself, so I looked over so I could jump out, which wasn't the right thing to do. Because when I did, I bent my body instead of staying stiff, and I landed on the water on the back of my thighs, which created a six-week bruise. And also what it did is when I bent, I basically got whiplash because I, I compressed my spine down, and then I whipped back when I came up out of the water, and, and I was hurting. Tammy goes, when did you know it was bad? I said, halfway down, <laughs> about 12 feet down. I knew I was in trouble. And then as soon as I came out of the water, I could feel the pain in my back. This was the first day of vacation. Anybody else with me that you like, when something negative happens, your mind spirals to the worst possible scenario? Anybody else? Okay, you guys are all spiritual. You're not trick-or-treating either, are you? You're like, I ain't getting the demon candy in my back. <laughs> Whatever. I'll take all your candy. And so... My mind, though, like, it went to a real dark place. Like, I had myself in traction. I was in back surgery. I was like, who are the best surgeons in D.C., up near D.C., where I live? Like, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm dying, you know. I'll never roll around in the floor with my children. I got a two-year-old, for God's sake. Like, he'll grow up without a dad that can be mobile and throw the baseball with him or play. I was really concerned about not being able to play golf again, if I'll be honest. And so... My mind goes all these places, and so immediately I thought, I've got to be more reasonable, and it made me think of all these things I've got to be, like, it's like, Daniel, you're 45, your body doesn't recover as fast as it used to, you can't be, you've got to be more reasonable, like, you can't do extreme things, you can't jump off cliffs, you, you, got, you got one back, and that's all you got, like, my, I even went to the place, y'all, it got so bad, I was like, maybe I should sell my motorcycle, but then I rebuked that devil in the name of Jesus, 
and it's still in my garage and I'm still riding it. But, but here's, what, here's what happened. The Spirit of God spoke to my heart and used this to teach me. He said, Daniel, you may need to get a little more reasonable in what you do with your body, but don't you dare get reasonable in your faith. And I feel like some of us over the past 18, 20 months or even more in our life have allowed this reasonable mindset to slip into our faith. That, that, for, that for so many months we've been told what we can't do and where, well, a little less in Florida, more in Virginia, where you can't go and what stores you can't. You, you have to tailor your messages for Florida and Texas. Every preacher has to, like, change it up, Florida and Texas. You got to say things a little different. It doesn't compute. I was preaching in California three weeks ago. That was a whole other conversation. But you can't go visit your grandparents in the nursing home, and, and, and you can't go into the birthing room with your wife as she has her child, and all these things. And if we're not careful, we begin to get the can't mentality into our faith. And we begin to think, well, I can't dream again, and I can't believe God for great things in my life, and I can't believe that my business will take off and start. I can't believe that my marriage will be thriving and restored. Now, I don't know if I could really dream that my child will come back to God, because here's the reality, is that all of us have a Saul that is speaking into our ear. All of us have a Saul that is saying, David, don't be ridiculous. All of us have a Saul that is wanting to pull us back into reasonable living. Just like, I just want to kind of get by. I don't really want to like believe God for anything great. I don't really want to trust that God could do exceedingly abundantly and above anything that I ask or imagine in my life. All of us in some area of our life, in our finances, in our identity, in our relationships, in our parenting, in our pursuit of career, in, in a birth dream that God has birthed on the inside of us, all of us have a Saul that is wanting to drag us back into reasonable. But I'm just telling you, the world needs more Davids that'll go, no, I'll be ridiculous in my faith. Tampa Bay needs a radiant church that isn't living reasonable, that is living with ridiculous faith to no go, no, we'll believe God for the ridiculous in our life. All of us need David, a spirit of David in us. David walked up to him. I didn't read it, but in the text he says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that is speaking against the people of God? Here's what David, he was so confused that the armies of Israel would be cowering against a giant that was uncircumcised. Now to us it may be like, oh, like he didn't, they didn't have that in the hospital at you know, the three-day mark or whatever. Like, no, it was a sign of a covenant. It was a sign of a relationship with God and a covering, a protection of God. So what David was saying is, why are you who are under the protection of God afraid of a giant who is outside of the protection of God? I would ask you today, why have some of you cowered in fear against an enemy that does not have the hand of God on him when you, a child of God, have the power of God, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of you? Why would you cower back in fear? Why would you live reasonable? And I love this series called B-List. I want to show you a B-List character who has a lot to teach us about living reasonable or living with ridiculous faith. If you're with me, say amen every location. Yes. Acts chapter 1, or Acts chapter 3, I'm sorry, starting in verse 1, says this, that Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. And as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was carried 
in. Each day, he was put beside the temple gate. So this man had never walked in his life. He'd been lame since he was born. And every day, this is where he came, every day. Brought there in the morning, taken home in the evening. Brought there in the morning, taken home in the evening. And he was put by this gate, the one called the beautiful gate. So he could beg from the people going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. So Luke is the author of the book of Acts. He's the same Luke that wrote the gospel Luke. He is a, a doctor, if you didn't know it. He's a physician. And I, I love that, that Luke is detailed. I'm not a very detailed person, big picture person. My, my wife is very detailed. Tell me all the details. I'm like, she's like, how is Radiant? I'll be like, it was awesome. <laughs> Such a good church. <laughs> what are we having for dinner? She's like... She's like, how are Aaron and Katie doing? How are the kids? Did you see the kids? She'll know all the kids' names, their birthdays. Like, my wife is detailed. My wife is one of these, like, she'll, she'll walk through, meet some, she'll be like, oh, I knew them from 1948. Like, I'm like, you weren't even alive in 48, but you knew, like, how? How many of you want your doctor to be detailed? I don't want a big picture doctor. Hey, just, it, it's, it's kind of in that area around your chest. I kind of want details. Luke's a detailed guy. He says that Peter and John are going up to the temple at the time of prayer. And at the same time, there's this, this divine intersection taking place where this lame man, we don't even know his name. He's so B-list, we don't even get his name. We just see that he's identified by his issue. We, that is so the culture we live in, is it not? Once I identify you by your issue, I like that Jesus identifies me by his blood that has covered all of my sins. <laughs> That he calls me the righteousness of God. He don't call me by what I struggle with. He calls me by who he is. Aren't you glad for that? It's not part of the message. I was free. But there's this, there's this divine moment because we can plan our ways, but the Bible says that God orders our steps. And so Peter and John were just going up to pray, and this landman was just going up to beg, but God had a divine intersection. I believe that maybe some of you is your first time today, that this is kind of a divine intersection that God has put in your life. You think you're here by accident, but I would say you're here on assignment, that, that, that it may be because a friend invited you, or you saw a sign at a campus, or maybe you logged in because someone sent you a link, but I would say that God has you here. Just like God had Peter and John and this lame man intersect that day. And this lame man was laying beside the gate and he was brought there every day. And it's a strategic move that you got to know. Can, can we go a little Bible study together? Is that good? So this, it's a strategic move that he would lay beside the gate because if you think about it, it was an agriculture society, it was a livestock society, it was a very much you earned income by working with your hands, a carpenter. It wasn't really a, an office society, are you with me? There wasn't a lot of thought leaders in this day. Like, what do you do? I think for a living. No, no I... I, I you know, take care of sheep. I'm a shepherd. Like that, that was more like what was happening in this day. So this man had no ability to earn income because of his physical issue. But in Jewish tradition, there was a belief that you had to treat poor people as if they were your own family and that you had a moral obligation to take care of the poor. Yeah. 
And so he, being strategic, would lay by the gate of the temple where the most religious would be going to the temple for prayer and they would sense a moral obligation to do something for this man. So this man wasn't an idiot. It wasn't happenstance. It was a very strategic spot. It was a good intersection in the neighborhood to hold up the sign that I need some food. Are y'all with me? I need some help. And so this is where this man is. And Peter and John come up at the same moment and he asked them for some money. It is ironic to me that he is laying outside the gate while there is a prayer meeting going on inside the temple. Why is it that his friends leave him outside the gate when there is a prayer meeting happening inside the gate? I think sometimes this can maybe speak to us as believers that sometimes we are happy leaving people outside the gate. I just have to, in my imagine wonder, my imagination wonder, did they lay him outside the gate and then run into the prayer meeting? That he was laying outside the gate asking for money when there was the potential inside the temple of a miracle. Are you following me? Let Radiant Church never be the people that are happy with leaving the broken and the hurting outside the gate when there is a miracle inside. Hello, am I in the right church today? May we never be happy leaving them outside the gate. Let us always be the church that says, no, you don't have to stay outside the gate lame because we serve a Savior that can cause blinded eyes to open, that can make the lame walk. If you don't know it, you're in a house that believes that the same God that healed yesterday is the same God that can heal today. But he's left outside the gate and he finds himself out there begging for money. And so Peter and John walk up and he asks for money. And I think this metaphorically represents some of us today that, that instead of believing God, instead of going, no, hey, don't leave me outside the gate, take me inside because I want a miracle, that we've settled for money. Let me say it this way. Instead of attempting the ridiculous, we've settled for the reasonable. And so we're fine just living less than. But I don't really expect my marriage to thrive. I just hope we make it. Just reasonable. And I don't really expect my kids to be planted in the house of the Lord all the days of their life so that they flourish and they bear great fruit in their life. I just hope that they make good choices and marry somebody nice. I just settled for reasonable. And I, I don't expect to really live with joy because of the Holy Spirit on the inside of me. I, I just settled for, I just, I just hope that the bitterness I carry doesn't overwhelm me and doesn't affect the people around me. I don't really expect to forgive and really, I don't expect to see God do Ephesians 3.20 kind of things in my life exceedingly abundantly and above anything I could dream or imagine. I'm fine just to settle for the reasonable. I'm fine to live outside the gate. I'm fine, to, I, I, I'm fine just to set out. I can hear the music. I can hear the stories of mirror. I can see them walk out the door, but I'm fine just to live reasonable. I'm fine to just get by. I'm fine just to live for the weekend, to live for another vacation, to live for retirement that one day maybe I'm just fine with reasonable I don't really expect anything ridiculous but here's what I found in my life giants don't fall at the feet of reasonable people they fall at the feet of ridiculous people that are willing to go no God I want to believe for something greater God I want to believe for more but to be honest I kind of understand why people live at the level of reasonable just outside the gate just reasonable and I think one of the reasons that we do is because for some of us we feel unworthy 
Who am I to ask God to do anything great in my life? Pastor, you, you don't know the past that I have. You don't know the life that I've lived. I'm just happy that I get to go to heaven one day. I don't expect really heaven to come to earth today, although that's how Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we are supposed to be a conduit through which heaven comes into the earth. I don't really expect to live that, although that's what he told us to pray for. Because of the past, I just feel unworthy. Who am I to go before God and say, God, I want you to do this, or God, I'm believing for greater in this. Who am I because God, forget my past. Like, I feel unworthy because of yesterday. <laughs> Hello, I forgot, y'all are the non-candy-getting non demon in your trick-or-treat bag people. You're so spiritual, right? Like, but for some of us, we, re we, we don't have to think back a year ago. We think back two days ago of the thing we thought or the, the temper we lost or the thing we said or the bitterness that we still hold on to or the anger that we have towards that person or the division that is in our home. Or, or the, and so we're just like, I'm not even worthy. I just kind of, I'm good to live reasonable. And I'm good just to live kind of below the radar of God. I don't really want... So we think we're unworthy, but I would just say that your worthiness is not predicated on your behavior. Your worthiness has been declared by Jesus on the cross. And I would just ask you this question today at all of our locations. If Jesus paid it all, then why would you leave anything on the shelf that he's already purchased for you? If he paid for your salvation and your freedom and your blessing, my Bible says, bless the Lord all my soul and forget not all of his benefits. I know with your job, you may have been excited. They gave you some dental benefits. But when you said yes to Jesus, he said, I not only pulled you out of the miry muck, but I set your feet on a solid rock. I heal you of all of your disease. He's given you purpose. Why would you live below the level of your inheritance? But some of us feel worthy. I think the other reason some of us remain outside the gate is because it works. He wouldn't have went every day if it didn't fill his jar. And even though living outside the gate and reasonable can be dysfunctional, it's comfortable. I've learned that about all of us and myself is that we always take the path of least resistance. I mean, think about the, the diet and workout plan from January. That one. Do you remember now? But, but, but then a donut showed up. It was like, ugh. Path of, path of least resistance. Are y'all with me? Like even, even if we don't like what it produces. Even if we get up in the morning and go. But then someone says, let's go get a cheeseburger at lunch. You're like, okay, let's go. Is that just me? And so there's something about it that works for us. There's something about it that for a moment it works it it may not 
last, but there's something about when it hits that's good. There's something about the dysfunction, even though we don't like it and we hate it and we don't want to be lame and we don't want to stay outside the gate and, and we hate the cycle of the argument, then making up and then argument, then making up, then outburst of anger and we hate the cycle of how we are as parents and we hate the cycle of bad friendships and, and then he took advantage of you and then you dated that guy, but then you found out that he was cheating and we hate the cycle of living below what God has for us and, and we hate that our identity causes us to put ourselves around people that want nothing good for us, but there's something about it for a moment that feels good, that works. Because if it didn't work, we wouldn't keep doing it. And so we just keep, somebody affirm me, somebody love me, somebody join my pity party. But you know what the most scary thing to me about reasonable living? Is that you will be able to find other people, reasonable people, that will like to keep you in your reasonable living. There will be plenty of people that will love to come along and put some coins in your jar. No, I like you bitter. Stay bitter. Because it makes me feel good about my bitterness. No, I, I like you. I like you as gossiping about other people because then I have someone to gossip with. They'll keep you there. Because if you get ridiculous, your ridiculousness shines the light on their reasonableness and makes them very uncomfortable. So no, I, I like, no, keep talking bad about your spouse because then I can talk bad about mine and we can both gripe together about it. And it makes me feel comfortable. Well, I'm just venting. No, you're negative. Pastor Aaron will be back next week. It'll be awesome. Make sure you come back. There'll be plenty of people that'll want to keep you in dysfunction, keep you in bitterness, keep you in unforgiveness, keep you in living a life on Friday that doesn't match the God you sing about on Sunday. Can I go there? I just come from Virginia to say, why don't you just toss the jar aside and decide I'm not going to live reasonably anymore. No matter what it costs me, no matter what it requires of me, I'm stepping into ridiculous faith. I love what happens next, verse 4. It says that Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. Peter's one of my favorite characters in all the Bible, because he's like half saved and half hood. And he carries a knife. I feel like you can build a church with those kind of people. Like, all, like... 50% saved, 51% saved, let's get over, over half. And you're like, what are you talking about? Go read the Bible, Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, he cuts a guy's ear off, and Jesus is like, don't do that, Peter, he puts it back on, it's a whole thing. I just want to point out the text never says, Jesus never said, put away your knife. I'm just saying, I'm not reading into the text, I'm not trying, I'm just saying. And the lame man looked at them eagerly expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Get up and walk. The lame man looked at them eagerly expecting to get some money because your request will reveal your level of expectancy. The man was asking for money 
because he expected money. He never thought to ask for a miracle. And your prayers will reveal your level of expectation of God. If it's God, just help me get through the day, then God's like, got it, easy. But why don't you go with, like, God do a miracle in my family? God's like, can do that too. Your request reveals your level of expectation of God. And so Peter says to him, I don't have any silver or gold, because Peter's the friend that goes to lunch or dinner with you and is like, "Ah, I forgot my wallet, bro, sorry. Next time, got you next time. He's that guy too. And he says, get up and walk. And when we read the text, we just go over and go, yeah, that's the miracle. He got up and walked and he ran into the temple and he was praising God and it was awesome. Not so fast. Get up and walk. Here's what is contained within that statement. Set down the jar. The only way you've known to earn income. And now enter into a life you know nothing about. You have no idea how to earn income. You know, no idea how to walk around. You know, have no idea how to interact with people as a walking person. You only know how to interact with people as a lame person. You've never stood up and looked someone eye to eye. You've never done any of that. So within that one statement that seems like, yeah, that's awesome, there's so much within there. And so it's a ridiculous request. But in the ridiculous is where you find the miraculous. Naaman, go go dip yourself in the Jordan River and you'll be healed of leprosy seven times. The Jordan is disgusting. It's ridiculous. No, it's miraculous. I'm going to spit in some mud, Jesus said. I'm going to put it on your eyes. You go wash it out and your eyes will open. That's ridiculous. No, it's miraculous. I work 60 hours a week and the church wants me to serve on a dream team. It's ridiculous. No, it's where you'll see the miraculous. I've worked my tail off to earn this income, and God wants me to return 10% of it? That's ridiculous. No, it's where the miraculous is found. But in order to see the miraculous, you have to be willing to do the ridiculous, which means you have to let go of the reasonable. This man was lame. He was laying down every day. Someone brought him. Someone took him. And it's a ridiculous request, Peter, to put your foot up under a body that the muscles have never held someone. The ligaments have never engaged. They've never had to uphold the torso. And I'm just telling you, that's what it's going to feel like for some of you. To go from reasonable to ridiculous. To go from, well, I, all I know is a dysfunctional marriage. All I know is, is just living for self. All I know is the way that I've operated. And God is going, no, no, no. If, if you'll put your foot, I promise it'll hold you. I promise your muscles will engage. And for some of you, you may start here and go, okay, I I got it here. And then you may begin to stand up. And then this is why you have a church family. Because someone will come along beside you and go, let's take one step at a time. And just one step at a time. And one step at a time. And you'll find you go from lame to walking. You go from reasonable to ridiculous. And it's in the ridiculous that you find the miraculous. Here's what I've discovered, is that what seems ridiculous to you is really just reasonable to God. 
So if you'll live with ridiculous faith, but pastor, all I know is lame. All I know is outside the gate. All I know, I know. But if you'll just get up, just one foot under. I'm not asking you to run today. I'm just asking you to maybe, maybe get to here. I'm not asking you to run, maybe just stand up. I'm not asking you to run, maybe just grab somebody beside you and go, Will you help me take a step in this area? Will you help me take two steps in this area? Will you believe with me for my family? Will you trust God with me for my children? And I just promise you that in the ridiculous, you'll find the miraculous. Do you receive the word of God today? Come on, do you receive it? Hey, will you pray with me at every location? Let's pray, Father, I pray for every individual today that in the area of their life where they have settled for the reasonable, would you move them into the ridiculous? And in the ridiculous, would they see the miracle working power of God in their life on display? We love you. We trust you for it. Our eyes are on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said a big amen. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. For service times or giving options, visit us at weareradiant.com. 